Good evening, saints of the living God. Today's date, tonight, is November 10th, 2021. And our sermon is entitled, Come and Take It. Say that with us. Come and take it. Come and take it. As we reflected on this past Sunday sermon, Walls to the Wall, we've been inspired to drop trial and expose the low places in our, in our lives and families. Boldly exposing these areas has resulted in something special, LCM. It has resulted in a walls out, no reserve, no quarter kind of attitude. In this house, this house that God himself has built, we are done hiding our weak spots. We will win and we will win by building the wall together until it's reached its full height. Amen. Walls out. Y'all know we got to go to Nehemiah 4 starting off. Say, come and take it on the way. Now in Nehemiah 4, 1, it says, now when Samballot heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. Wow. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish, burned as they are? Let's pick up that, that next slide. Do y'all remember these questions as, as, as our pastors gave them to us? We know you remember them because the enemy has been hitting you with these exact questions. Am I lying? No. no. But Sunday, we learned how to respond to these taunts, to these accusations of the enemy. Help us out, Judah. We learned how to respond from Nehemiah 4, verse 6. So... With the longest pause that could possibly exist. Taunt, 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 taunt. In light of the taunts that we're bringing about, Nehemiah says, so, we built the wall. <laughs> Feels strangely reminiscent of things that are happening under uh, King Abbott at the moment while the federal government fails to do their job. But this is Nehemiah. This was his response to the adversity that was pushing against the forward progress. He says, and so we built the wall and the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to do the work. Come on. And I can feel the mind of Christ rising in this room. Yeah. We are learning to do the work as one man and it will be built. Saints, this concept is it, that we must build it despite what we are facing. When we are attacked, we rise to the fight. Come on. We rise to build. We rise and rush into the low spots that are in our walls and in our brother's walls. Yeah. There will be no shrinking or shriveling here Not at LCM. Hurt. Why don't you say this with us tonight? Enemy, enemy. come and take it. Church, you're learning to laugh at the enemy's taunts. You're learning to laugh at adversity and say the wall just got 10 feet taller. When we're having difficulty building, say perhaps difficulty building with a particular family or individual, you lean into that difficulty. You double down on that wall and build all the more in that difficulty. Come on, Molochs. Phillips, do you guys hear us? We will fight to restore the wall. We do not stop there. 
We build it higher. We set a permanent weekly meeting that says to the enemy, you are unable to break us and we shall not bend. Instead, the wall is going to get that much higher. We learned on Sunday that it is in this fact of building the wall that inspires attacks, but it also is the solution. Come on. See, church, we will build until we have shut out the demonic lies and threats of Samballot and Tobiah. And our unity will bury their attacks. See, just like Jesus said, you go tell that fox, I will cast out demons today, tomorrow, and on the third day, I will reach my goal. LCM, we say we will build today, tomorrow, and we will reach our goal. And that was just Sunday. How about Monday? Now, Monday was a very light, I mean, skimp interview. I mean, uh, overview, shallow overview of the book of Daniel, was it not? Was, was it light and shallow? No. You, you better tell the truth. Monday was a light overview, but there was some serious building going on. We looked at the loyalty and brazen faith of a unique man named Shama in 2 Samuel 23, picking up in verse 11. You're going to want to turn there. Say, come and take it. See, Shama had a come and take it kind of attitude. And that's the same attitude that our, our heavenly Sabaoth is giving us in this house. It says next to him was Shama, son of Agi, the Hararite. When the Philistines band together at the place, there was a, a field full of lentils. Lentils, Judah. Mm. Judah's favorite. Field full of beans. He said, tell the truth. <laughs> Israel's troops fled from them. But Shama took his stand in the middle of that field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. Oh, come on. Have you guys been blessed by Shama's life? Yeah. Hey, note that we hit on Monday that we wanted to reemphasize in light of our corporate body. Is that to others it may have seemed little better than a patch of weeds. Or a field of beans. Which if you don't know, the Stevens do not value highly. <laughs> Something definitely not worth fighting for. But it was precious to Shama as a portion of the divinely given inheritance. And moreover, the enemy might have used that land as a rallying ground from which to capture other strongholds. So it is with every detail of the biblical text as a whole, every verse, even its most obscure references or things that are currently obscure must be fought for without yielding an inch of ground to the adversaries. Every word is of intrinsic value if it was given from God. And moreover, the statement which is discarded and which may seem of no importance may prove to be a link in the chain of truth on which we and our brothers are depending for eternal life. Say, come and take it. Church, we want you guys to, we want you guys to understand not one of the sm smallest strokes of the law we will acquiesce and not one lentil that our great king has given us provision for our brothers. See, we tell the enemy, come and take it because this is the attitude that we will adopt. Yes, more so than just an attitude, this is a spiritual reality that we are living in. From the men who have gone before us, we, will, we may look feeble, but the kingdom of God to which we belong conquers all. Yeah. It is not us who need to fear loss. It is this world system that we are at war with. Say, come and take it. Come and take it. When the enemy wants to threaten us,
threaten to kill us, you know what we say? Ha! I'm going to pray with my brothers just like Daniel did until we have divine insight into the enemy's camp, oh, knowing exactly on. his schemes. We serve a God from whom nothing can be hidden. Throw me into a lion's den? All right. I serve the lion of the tribe of Judah. When I get out of there, you and you and you are going to end up praising the living God. That's the attitude that the, our heavenly commander is setting in this place. Come on, I want to make sure that you're not only understanding what we're saying. I want you to feel this with us for a minute. Have we not been pressed a little more on every side as we've been walking in this whole unity thing? I can, cannot count the number of sicknesses that have cropped up in the last 48 hours as families are working to join to one another. While one association travel is going on. Guys, we're going to need that come and take it kind of attitude. This is not one lintel, not one square inch of ground will you take. We are doubling down on this process. You want to create division between Spencer and Nick? It's not going to happen. They're going to drive to more fellowship, to more unity, to more transparency. We are the people of God. We are graftons into that Israeli fire. When you put water on that fire, it sparks and comes alive. This is the house that we come from. Men like Daniel, men like Ezra, men like Nehemiah and Shammah did not run away from the difficult. They stood up taller in it as their God supported them. When things got difficult, they did not run away from it. They leaned into it all the more. They built the wall higher. Somebody say, build it higher. When the stakes got high, they didn't run off or try to fix it alone. They stood together and built the wall higher. They leaned into it with their brothers and took an even bolder stand. Now look, I don't know about you, but I had a few years where I was lagging a little bit behind. I was a little smaller than the other kids. At some point in time, you learn to stop shrinking back. And when there's aggression, you learn to be more aggressive. I believe that we're in a day where God is cultivating this body. We are learning how to stand on the right principles, but to fight for it as one man. This is what God is creating here. He is forging it into our souls. He is working blow after blow until we learn to stand up in the frame that he has made us to. We are men who will lean into the difficult days that are ahead. We will not shrink back. Our circumstances, not only do they not define us, they empower us. We are men who do so standing shoulder to shoulder in a brotherhood. You guys remember it says in Isaiah 54, 17, that no weapon formed against us will prosper. No weapon fashioned against you will prosper. Saints, this is our vindication. Our king is going to come through. When he calls his shots, he will bring it to pass. LCM, this is your inheritance. See, Shama, somebody say Shama. Shama. Did not drop out of the sky with this reality living and, and breathing inside of him. This attitude, this, this, ad, this aggression, this tenacity, this Israeli fire came from somewhere. It came from his great Davidic king. In fact, let's go to 1 Samuel 17, picking up in verse 32. And when you get there, say, come and take it. Check this out. 
David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy. And he has been fighting men from his youth. Now, what Saul doesn't understand here, and or maybe not his intentions, is that he is repeating the exact same words of the enemy. Now, when David hears this, I bet he's just going to withdraw. Just no, no, not. Fall back. No, not at all. No. Nope. He doubles down and says, come and take it, enemy. Look, pick up in verse 34 with us. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it and rescued the sheep from come its on. mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Our church, we were praying in the back, and we hope this is not the most eloquent message you've heard, you've, you've heard preached. That, that's a, that is a literal prayer. Guaranteed. But what we do hope is that we take on this attitude. As we take on this attitude as a body. It says here that David seized it by its hair. Now, we were looking up number, like uh, stats of bears. Uh, a gri uh, polar bear is 10 feet tall. A grizzly bear is a measly 7 feet tall. Now, David didn't just sneak it. He didn't, he didn't uh, sneak up on the bear. He grabbed it by its hair. That's the attitude that we take when the enemy is taunting us, when he's seeking to destroy our fellowship and our families. We seize it by its hair. Come on. We have the come and take it kind of attitude. We're not losing heart when things get difficult, but leaning into the fight Amen. with our brothers. This is the attitude of the people of God in this house. Notice he didn't sneak up on it. He's not trying to assassinate it. Again, he's taking it by his hair. Think about that. Yeah. A boy, a 15, 16-year-old boy is taking a lion by its hair and taking it down. That is what God wants to deposit in you tonight, church. Verse 36. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Because he has defied the armies of the living God. It's your first little hint that he's counting on something beyond the natural. Yeah. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. He chased the lion and he chased the bear down and put them down. He demonstrated a loyalty to his father and brothers. Think about it for a moment. He would have been the last to inherit any of the sheep that he was guarding as the youngest. He had been the last to benefit from anything that he was risking his own life for. He was the youngest to whom the inheritance did not belong, but he was the most loyal to the family. Wow. Wow. He was that gangly little brother, not an atlas training for war. Not a six-foot-five, muscle-bound Adam Cora, but a boy that had a holy tenacity. One that was not willing to put up with one sheep being stolen. More than rescuing the one sheep, he wanted to ensure that the beast that devoured the sheep was put down never to rise again. I don't know how you view yourself this evening, but I do know what spirit our kingly father has. One that takes any man who is willing to walk with him and makes him 
like the son of David. There's not one person in this room that cannot cultivate this attitude. In fact, you must, you can, and we will together. Because our God has seen fit to square us off against lions, bears, and coming giants. David stood the least to gain, but his concern was not with his own walls, his own protection, his own prosperity, but building the walls and protection of his family. Church, this is my family. I hope this is your family as well. His motivation was protecting his brother's inheritance above all else. So David killed Goliath, yes? What else did he do? He cut his head off. You got to ask yourself, was that really necessary? Really? See, he killed Goliath, and then he made him dead. Why the aggression? Why such tenacity? Right? How many people have come into LCM like, do you guys have to be so aggressive? Yes! Yes! This is the attitude. This is what we most cultivate. In fact, Luke chapter 16, verse 16 explains this perfectly. It says, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing their way into it. This is how the kingdom of God advances, church. This is how we are going to advance and this is how we're going to take that yellow region of Aswan. Come on. See, this fiery Israeli aggression is the constitution of our Davidic king. And we are learning to imitate, to walk, and to embrace it here in this body. This is how men like Shama became what they were. That's a good word. He imitated the Davidic king. Why do we go so hard? Why do we go after the things of God the way we do? Because our king demands it. First John 3 says, the reason the son of God came was to destroy the devil's work. That is spiritual aggression. That is holy savagery. That is what God is calling and cultivating in this body. Do y'all want that kind of Israeli aggression? That spirit of the Davidic king? Good, because it's why you're here. Nehemiah was a shepherd of Israel, much like David. And he had a similar approach. And one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Nehemiah 13, we pick up in verse 23. Say, come and take it as you go there. It says, moreover, in those days, I saw men of Judah who had married men, uh, married women from Ashdod. That would be bad. (laughs) Ammon and Moab. (laughs) Either way, they got to go. Praise God. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of one of the other peoples and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. I rebuked them, called curses down on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. Whoo, that's aggressive, ain't it? I made them take an oath in God's name and said, you are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. That's aggressive. He had a little bit of Israeli aggression, but that is the kind of aggression that the Davidic king has. He guarded his brothers and built the kingdom. See, Nehemiah had an attitude. Just like Moses told Pharaoh, not one hoof left behind. Nehemiah said, not one brother left behind. Not one calling left behind in this body. Not one family left behind in the wakes. No, we are all growing and we're building up that wall side by side. He built the kingdom and he didn't just chase the line of sin, but he grabbed it by its hair and struck it. Even if it was his brother. Let a righteous man strike me. Was that really necessary? Yes. 
He set men in positions and posted guards. He set up God's government in Israel. Nehemiah, like David, understood that the kingdom of God could not be advanced through passive, pusillanimous responses. It couldn't be advanced by running away from troubles. No, you had to lean into it. It couldn't be advanced by, let me just go and do this all on my, on my, on my own, by myself. A little bit of toxic independence. No, Nehemiah leaned into his brothers and posted guards. Come on. Nehemiah goes on to entrust the men to guard the gates in areas of vulnerability. Much like us guarding or lowering our walls so our brothers might help us. He did this to protect the people and the kingdom being a rise or result. Saints, the kingdom is rising in this house. Every week that passes by, I am watching families learn to post a guard. Learn to seize the adversary by the hair. Learn to take swirling insults, difficult thoughts that were not originated from you, and take them captive by the hair. Offenses that historically have plagued families are being put down. Men who did not know how to lead their home when they arrived here are standing up as mighty men of God. Saints, we need to lean in to the taunts of the enemy. Now is not the time to back up, shut up, or let up but instead to entrust ourselves to our God and the men around us. This is how men like Nehemiah and David obtained victory. They produced men like Shammah, like Eleazar, like Benaiah. They were the mightiest men the world had ever seen. In fact, they were supernaturally empowered. They even had uh, calculation problems. One versus 800 is not something that is rational. But they had a reality inside of them that went beyond what their eyes saw. Consider the humble beginnings of David in that cave of Abdullam. His life was not concerned for his own welfare, his own luxury. His life centered around the men, around his brothers, around the needs of those that had rallied to him and were his sheep. He trained them and he gave him the very best of all that he had. He relied upon them in his lowest and darkest moments. But the end result was he produced the best men that had ever existed. When he was tempted to dishonor Saul, he repented and then began to double down on righteous behavior. Remembering that he served the king of all of the earth and he would do what was good in his sight. No man needed to tip the scales. David could lay down his own self-preservation and say, come and take it. Because he had entrusted himself to his God and to his brothers. Saints, I think that's the kind of spirit that we need to pray for. One like Daniel. One like the three Hebrew children that stood looking into the fire and said, come get it. Whether he delivers us or not, we stand with him. Do you guys love King David? Yes. How could you not think of Psalm 18 when we're talking about David? David understood something special. He understood the reality in the heavens and the earth and the attitude on earth. Go to Psalm 18 and pick up in verse 4. When we get there, say, come and take it. Come and take it. It says this, the cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. 
From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. David was a man that found himself in difficult circumstance after difficult circumstance after difficult circumstance. Sounds like sand and ballot. Yeah, yeah sand ballot, to buy it, lodging, accusations, and even spears at, at some point. <laughs> but you can see that he was a man that was never at a disadvantage because he leaned into the difficulties and called on the name of his king. Come on. Pick up in verse 39 and look at how this plays out. You armed me with strength for battle. Come on. You made my adversaries bow at my feet. You made my enemies turn their backs in flight and I destroyed my foes. They cried for help, but there was no one to save them. I, the, to the Lord, but he did not answer them. You guys see the, the, uh, the comparison to that? David is crying out to God and God hears him. And David's enemies are crying out to God and God does not hear them. Amen. Verse 42, I beat them as fine as dust born on the wind. I poured them out like mud in the streets. Saints, when we're crying out to our king to deliver us, and he comes through with that word, he comes through with that direction, we pursue our enemies and we beat them as fine as dust. We put our foot to the pedal and we say, come and take it. Church, David was a man who God said, I have found a man who will do everything that I have in my heart. Why would God give a man like this victories? It might be because David was never focused on his victory. He gave his men the best that he had, and they became the best as a result of it. David wasn't caught up in building his own kingdom, even as the chosen king of Israel. He was a man who was sold out for the Lord and sold out for his brothers. Amen. He was a man who learned to lean into the difficult circumstances, cry out to his God, and watch him come through. Amen. And he taught that to the men that was coming up under him. David understood that it was his king who was ultimately determined, who ultimately, ultimately determined the outcome of any battle. And he would give no half-hearted offering. Remember that. David paid full price yeah. for everything that he did for the Lord. Church, we want to encourage you. We want to encourage our family here that God hears your prayers and he is watching you lean into the difficult things. Yeah. Paul Rosales, he is watching you lean into the, the consistency that is yours, brother. Right? He is watching you lean into the body and press in like, like no time before. The Lord is watching this and he is going to help you double down. Yeah. He is going to help you give all to build the wall with your brother and shut out the enemy. We will not stop with victory, but we will beat the enemy as fine as the dust, just like the Davidic king. You guys understand what we mean when we say we will not stop with victory? We will beat the enemy as fine as the dust? We're talking about driving it in the earth so far that we create relationships that cannot be broken even when separated by continents. Come on. We're talking about so overcoming victory, overcoming victory in your workplace now that we're able to actually endure the persecution that the Bible promises us. Come on. That everything that the word of God says are true of the people of God would live within us. We genuinely believe that this church is heading the right direction, that we are developing the strength of conviction for the days that are ahead. There's a central cry. A key of sorts that David understood. We believe it's important that we understand this evening. 
comes from Luke 10, 2 through 3. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves, he says. Man, how many times do you come to charismatic services? And the rallying cry is for souls. It's for miracles. It's God, show that you are with us by your outward testimony. All the while, the Lord of the harvest is saying, I am already with you. Ask me to raise up harvesters, not wheat. It is our heartfelt belief that David understood what this looks like. Rather than building his own life, building his own men, he poured himself out for the men around him. He was not concerned with his own fruit in eternity. He was concerned with raising up the harvesters. And it produced the victory that they all needed together. David died surrounded by the mightiest warriors with a strong and secure kingdom that passed to the next generation because he understood this principle. This is a church of mighty warriors that will pass to the next generation. This will be how we will do it. We will pass on a way of life that says we will not bend, we will not break. Every letter, every stroke of the pen of the word of God is all to us. You want it? Come and take it. We will assemble. Not because of a mandate, but because of a mandate from heaven. David was never trying to protect himself. He went all out for the men of God around him. What you fight for, to keep for yourself, in the end will always come to nothing. But the harvesters that you raise up on your left and right, the brothers that you equip, that you build, that you aid, that you give all you have for, and that will last for eternity in generation to generation. From the cave of Adullam to the house of heroes. Yeah. That's what that process and this, that's what this process looks like. Humble beginnings to raise up mighty warriors. Here at LCM, we have learned this and we are putting our enemy on notice by saying, come and take it. Yeah. We are advancing and we're not hiding. We're not shrinking back in any way. We are moving forward by the power of the Spirit of God in our unity. Amen. Attack us physically and we will see each other healed. Come on. Work to plant offenses and we will build lifelong partnerships and relationships. Come on. We're talking about fidelity unto death, loyalty unto life. Come on. Try to prevent us from meeting and we will build roads between every church until there's a holy highway. We will build in the face of our enemy. In fact, it just got 10 feet higher because our king is with us. Come and take it to the enemy. This is the attitude that we must have. So say that with us. Come and take it. Come and take it. See, David was an extraordinary king who leaned into the fight. He leaned, in, he leaned into righteous behavior and he put his men first. Come on. He understood that the favor of God is always, say always, always, always with the collective body among the tribe and between the brothers. Yeah. Turn with us to Numbers 23 and say, come and take it as you go. I can't wait on you. No misfortune is seen in Jacob. No misery in Israel. Their God is with them. 
the shout of the king is among them. Come on. Church, the LSX says the honorable among the archon are with them. Almost like the honorable that are riding with God are riding with his people to bring them victory. You know what it also says in that verse? It says they have the strength of a wild ox. It's almost like as we put our shoulders under the load together, building the wall, God is giving us the strength that we need. Come on. But you know, when the reality of the shout of the king sinks down into our soul, we really get it down deep that the shout of the king is with us. It changes everything, church. It changes the way we look at ourselves in the mirror. It changes the way we see us pastoring our kids and pastoring our wives. It changes the way we see our brothers. There is no difficulty that can rob us of this blessing. There's no difficulty that can rob us of doubling down and leaning into the difficulty. There's nothing that can rob you of that. No longer concerned with your own welfare or protectionism. Your chief concern is the benefit of the man next to you and the death of sinful enemies. Consider Father Abraham in Genesis 14 when he pursued his enemies way beyond what was needed because he knew that the shout of the great king was with him. He wasn't interested in giving the enemy the ability to ever recover. Abraham said not an inch, and that's the same attitude that our heavenly Yahweh Sabaoth is putting in us. The men of old understood that there was a mighty king who commanded the armies of heaven. It's how they possess such great faith in spite of indispensable odds or unsurvivable odds. Men like Abraham, men like David, took on challenges that were impossible to the natural eye. More than that, they pursued to the ends of the earth. They took it all the way to the finish and the trophy. Whether it be Goliath's head or it is the entirety of the camp, in the case of Genesis 14, being destroyed. What we want you to understand this evening is the way in which that should change your reality, your perspective. That Cody Stevens is a part of a body that has the shout of the king. The imagery being the king is the one rallying those armies of heaven. That like Psalm 18, he hears you when you pray. That when we stand together in his days, for his purposes, for his desire on the earth, you should have confidence that heaven is moving when you pray. That there is nothing that can prevent you from accomplishing the next task that he puts in front of you, no matter what the odds are. You know, there was a time that Israel had forgotten that the shout of the king was among them. The reality is that they, just like you, just like me, had walked with the Lord for years, but began to allow fear, discontentment, strange feelings of disqualification to make them believe that their king wasn't with them anymore. That in any particular area, they would always be subject to sin, subject to their enemies, subject to the world around them. I'm your pastor, so I don't have to pretend that uh, those thoughts haven't been raging against you. But the reality is, God preserved men like Joshua that did not forget and were used to remind the people and cause their faith to rise. This evening, our desire 
is that your faith in your almighty king being with you would rise. Joshua 10, 12 through 14 says this. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel. Why did he have to give the Amorites over to them? Because they were fighting and being attacked yet again. Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel. Sun stand still over Gibeon. And you, moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. As it is written in the book of Jashar, the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There's never been a day like it before or since. A day when the Lord listened to a human being. The Lord was fighting for Israel. We had a prophecy this evening that had to do with greater miracles being given to this body. Once again, we're not miracle hunting. We're not even prophecy hunting. We're talking about a kind of attitude that is going headlong into the task, the challenge that God has put before us, that there is no way out of without a miracle. What happened in Joshua was not just uh, the sufficient steps for success. They had already beaten them. The verse started out with when God had delivered the Amorites into their hands. No more barely meeting the bar. No more sufficient steps. We're determined to dominate. We're talking about the kind of prayer life that is we fix this situation, but I want to go so much more than fixing the situation. I'm obtaining some victory in this area, but I want so much more than to keep these things at bay. I want to dominate. God, would you cause the sun and moon and stars to pause for just a minute so that we might cultivate something more here? Man, I saw some spark of the gospel in this man's eyes, but that's not how far I want to go. I want to see him speaking in tongues. Cultivating something inside of us that was like the patriarchs of old who remembered that the shout of the king dwelt among his people. The Tom and Martha Powell remember that the shout of the king is among them and no day has to be an ordinary day. That the difficulties that are before them are just an opportunity for a greater miracle than what you've seen in the past. I think it's probably best we read Psalm 91. Psalm 91, pick it up in verse 13, says this. You, would, you will thread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Church, how beautiful is this psalm? As our pastor was preaching his heart out, I was thinking of something. Most boxers are looking forward for the the bell to ring, to call the round. Wouldn't you think it's strange for a boxer to say, no, I want this round to go as long as possible? Yeah. That's why... That's why men like Joshua are asking God, Lord, we want to drive our enemy to the ground. Give us the time that we need. We're not, Elsian, we're done with looking for seasons just to pass. We're asking our God to help us to to not just grin and bear it, but to thrive and to be joyfully impactful in the midst of it. Psalm 91, the Lord himself says this, because he loves me. This is first and foremost to Israel. 
And as this Gentile graftings that we are, we know that he loves us. He hears us, he listens to us, and he responds to us here in LCM. See, we've had medical reports that said that you cannot have children, and yet we have children. Yeah, yeah we do. We've had things come our way saying that you cannot do this or try to disqualify our fixed value, and we are still here. Church, we have to take on the attitude to tell the enemy, come and take it. We have to lean into this. And the truth is, we are leaning into this. In fact, when we think about Israel, we think about the tribes of Israel, we think about their unity. Look at how Isaiah 11 depicts their unity, picking up in verse 13. It says, Ephraim's jealousy will end, and Judah's hostility will be eliminated. Ephraim will no longer be jealous of Judah. And Judah will no longer be hostile towards Ephraim. They will swoop down on the Philistines, Philistine hills to the west. Together, they will loot the people of the east. They will take over Edom and Moab. And the Ammonites will be their subjects. Church, this is what happens when the people of God unify in the fight, determined together to win or die. Or if need be, win and die. Come on. This is what happened. The Lord joins it and they swoop down on the enemy. God is raising us up to take back captives. Can Amen. captives be taken back from the fierce? Yes. They will be taken back from the fierce because God is uniting the clans. He's uniting the tribes and he's causing us to build up the walls even higher. Let's take some practical action items. I mean, like daily, hand-to-hand combat kind of level. Like how we're going to do this tomorrow until we win. I'm going to read to you out of Ezra 8.28. I said to them, you as well as these articles are consecrated to the Lord. Saints, you are consecrated to him. You're here because he spoke to you, because he drew you, because in the filth that you once existed in, he decided to lift you up. Because you love him and he loves you. You are consecrated unto him. The silver and gold are a free will offering to the Lord. The God of your ancestors. Guard them carefully until you weigh them out in the chambers of the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. Before the leading priest and the Levites and the family heads. Then the priest and Levites received the silver and gold and sacred articles articles that had been weighed out to be taken to the house of God in Jerusalem. Ezra weighs out the holy things here to his brothers. Ezra was the one that was ultimately responsible for the holy things. He was the one who took charge of them between the king and Jerusalem. These things that were precious to him, sensitive to him, and areas that he desperately needed help with. Saints, you are consecrated to God. And there are areas of precious, holy things, revelations and decisions that are gut-wrenching that must be weighed out into the hands of the brothers around you. Ezra had a holy mission filled with opposition. He declined to request help from the Gentile kings of the day who could have provided Calvary. Instead, he weighed out the weight of the holy things into the hands of the holy men. Saints, this is how we accomplish the mission of God. Your thoughts about your mezuzah, about your family banner, about how you should interact with your lost relatives in the coming days during holidays. These are things to be measured out 
weighed out into the hands of your brothers so that we all reach Jerusalem with the holy things intact. You are consecrated to the Lord. You are being deposited with weighty matters. Some of the smallest or newest Christians in this church with just a little bit of time in discipleship have better discernment, ability to handle situations. Then you see men that have, are the top of their field, that are aged all around us. God is cultivating Levites in this house. The only way that we will reach the final destination, though, is by making up your mind that you're doubling down on these things. It's not a different scenario in December. It's not a different scenario because it's stressful or because it relates to your children. We weigh the holy things out to the men of God that are in this room. Why don't we look at Nehemiah 6, 9 together? I'm going to read it, and then Brother Abambola is going to help you with it. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work, and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. The enemy has been saying this to LCM for over 20 years now. You know what our response to is? We're going to double down. Come on. We're going to say to the enemy, come and take it. You cannot break us. You cannot bend us. You cannot make us shrink back from God's promises. We are still going to stand shoulder to shoulder. You notice that Nehemiah said, now strengthen my hands. Man, we got to get to work, LCM. When we are entrusted with the holy things, our, our, our weak, feeble, embarrassing things, the, the most sensitive parts of us, we find what we need by exposing those things to our brothers. That's how we find strength. This is what we experienced on Sunday when we were talking about inviting our brothers into those lowest points of our wall. Have you guys been strengthened since then? Yes. Man, in fact, speaking of that, I had Marlon share a word with me at lunch today, speaking to a low area of my life. Come on. Brother, thank you for that. CLCM, what we need is not the, the sensation of fighting just to fight. No, not at all. We need to lean into the fight and lean into the brotherhood that God has blessed us with. So we can't just sing songs like, I'll die for my brother's vision, let's stay on the ice. No, we're just a living reality here in this body. We're going to do it. Come on. Y'all repeat this with me. Say, we don't need the fight to end. We don't need the fight to end. We need more time. We need more time. That's a good word, brother. It's an extraordinary thing when we lean into the brotherhood, not away from the brotherhood in difficult circumstances. As we aim towards a close, we want to take you on a journey into the book of Esther, a beautiful love story with the, the queen and the king. Yeah. Esther 3 verse 5 says, when Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down and pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet, having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Wow. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, all the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. So you know what's happening here. An edict has been issued for the destruction of the, of the people, of the Jewish people. And once an edict goes forth, you know that it cannot be rescinded. It cannot be taken back. Come on. This has been the case before Haman's time. This is, that was the case that was going on while Haman was in power, and it's gone on since then. There's always 
uh, somebody looking to take out the people of God, looking to separate them and pick them off, almost like a, a roaring lion that's looking for those he might devour. We've seen it time and time again. Those who are moved by another spirit that hate Israel, they also hate those who are grafted in Israel. Yeah. It's true. Pick up with us in Esther 8. Verse 11. The king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble Come on. and protect themselves, to destroy, kill, and annihilate any armed force of any nationality or province that might attack them and their women and their children and to plunder their property of their enemies. Esther's efforts did not eliminate the fight. The edict that was issued in chapter 3 could not be repealed. It could not be rescinded. But rather, Esther's efforts empowered her people to take up arms against the oppressors. The original edict of opposition from Esther 3 had been cast and could not be rescinded, but the people of God didn't need it to be rescinded. You guys beginning to track with us? Instead, they needed to arm each other with weaponry from heaven. They needed to be equipped with the storehouses of what God would provide. Man, when you think about prayer, prayer is not that circumstances would be alleviated. It's that we would take up the weaponry of heaven's armament. The fight is not going anywhere, LCM, but we do not need it to. Amen. Not day, not tomorrow, not any time. You are a holy people and you've been entrusted with holy things. What you need is to fight alongside your brothers with a come and take it kind of attitude. What we are doing now is standing in each other's gaps or breaches in the walls for the things that are seeking to steal our unity, kill our confidence, and snuff out the promises that God has given to us about the generations to come. We have been given permission. Somebody say permission. Permission. We've been given license to destroy, to kill, to annihilate. In fact, we say to the enemy this evening, come and take it. Our king has decreed victory for us. The book of Esther goes on to detail that they did not stop with defending themselves. But they actually took the fight to their enemies. And once they realized that their king had set them free to kill, to annihilate, to destroy, they hunted down every adversary within the kingdom. And then they created this wonderful holiday that exists even to today. Church, this kind of attitude that we see in the book of Esther didn't stop in Esther or Mordecai's generation but was entrusted down to the generations all the way down to the apostles themselves. Turn to Acts chapter 4 with us, and when you get there, pick up in verse 27 and say, come and take it. It says this, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable, empower your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God 
boldly. Church, notice here in, in Acts chapter 4 that they're not praying for the persecution to stop. They're not praying for the circumstances to ease up, ease up or get uh, lighter. Instead, they are praying that God will make them more bold. They were praying for the armament of heaven. Come on. LCM, things are not going to get better. The world is going to hell in a handbasket, and we're telling the enemy, come and take it, because we're going to see souls rescued into the kingdom of God. Our prayer is that, Father, would you enable us in this time of difficulty, in the dark times that we're living in, Father, would you enable us as one collective body to preach your word boldly? And as a result, you see that the place that they were praying praying was shaken, and they were all filled with that dunamis, Holy Ghost, Ruach, Hakodesh power that we see. Church, this is the spirit of Mordecai and Esther. Gathering the people, not to run from the battle, not to run from the enemy, but to run towards the battle. Amen. This is the spirit of Nehemiah and Ezra. Not to cower to the questions and the accusations of the enemy, but to build the wall even higher, doubling down on what God said. This is the attitude of God's people when we unite in holy defiance. It says all the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed to have any of their possessions as their own, but they shared everything they had with great power. Say great power. Great Great power. power. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no need for any needy persons among them. From that time on, those who had land or houses They gave it. They were not concerned with the building of their own houses. They were not concerned with poverty. They were concerned about the man to the left and to the right. Just like King David. When the people of God unite in holy defiance, the Lord manifests his power throughout the entire body, the collective body. And that is what he is doing in you tonight, LCM. And the enemy does not like it. But you know what? We say come and take it. This is like the armies of God gathering. This is what it looks like when people of God aren't praying for the cessation of difficulties. We're not praying for it to be over quicker. Well, we're saying we're going to go through this. And as a matter of fact, would you give us a little more time in this so that we can go and take back more captives? Or would you give us a little more difficulty so that you would be brought more glory? This is the attitude of the people of God when they are becoming like the armies of God. We are being made into a holy army, not just as a cute song, but in daily practice, as men who march shoulder to shoulder, side by side, obeying the commands of our king. Isaiah 59 is a passage that is commonly misunderstood, (laughs) 17 through 19 specifically, and it depicts the coming of the great king. Having wrapped himself in zeal, garments that are vengeance. And it goes all the way on to describe men who are coming to, that fear the name of the Lord. From the west, all the way to the rising of the sun. And it says that he will come like a pent up flood. Saints, what is beginning to rise in this house is of the nature of the king that we serve. Something of his rising zeal for his house. 
That pent-up flood is rising inside of you. You can no longer stand by and sit back idly because you belong to his army and to his kingdom. Revelation 17, 14 says this. They will wage war against the lamb. So they built the wall. But the lamb will triumph over them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. The nature of this coming king is rising in us this evening. Church, you will lean into the difficulties ahead. You will learn every day more and more to entrust your life to your brothers. And you will be with him on that day, called, chosen, and faithful in his sight. Turn to Acts 20 with us. Picking up in verse 24. It says this, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord God, the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Saints, just like the Apostle Paul, we are growing in this revelation. That's why we are able to gather in this room. We are learning to know and and consider our life worth nothing to us. Church, we will be able to say this just like Paul, and we're growing in it. We will be able to say that our only aim is to finish the race, but it all starts with us eliminating the fear of us losing our lives. We are with the king. Church, we are with the king, and that's all that matters. Psalm 73.25 says, Whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. This is the attitude that we must have. And to our enemies, we say, come and take it. See, Paul had an impact on the biblical world. Yes? Yes. What would happen when men no longer had had concern about losing their lives? What would happen if we had 12 springs of living water that had no concern about losing their lives. This is how we're going to take the region of Aswan. One life, one family, one nation at a time. Stand up with the church. Praying that the spirit of Ezra, Nehemiah, of David, king of Israel, will not just be something that we read about and are encouraged about. The Lord has given us an opportunity to see it today, to walk in it. It's not something that is far off, too high to attain. It is for people who call on the name of their God, and that is who you are, LCM. We're going to build the wall higher. Leslie Spikes, you're going to build the wall higher. Juan, you're going to build the wall higher. And we're going to do that because we have no care for ourselves. No care for how we're seen. No care for how we're viewed. No care for what we have to sacrifice. But we want to see the kingdom built up. And when the people want to see God's kingdom built up, the Lord builds them up. And he builds them together. 
We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which works so powerfully in me. Church, we're going to waste our strength. We're going to give all. But you know what we're going to find in that? His power at work in us. So as you come down to this altar tonight, we're not coming down here to mourn. We're coming down here again to lay down our lives. We're coming down here pledging to not have no concern for ourselves, but only concern for the man next to us. And when we do that, you know what? The Lord's power is going to move in his body. We're going to see those miracles. We're going to see those signs and everything that God that comes along with it. But what's going to happen is that our walls are going to get higher and higher. We're going to look at the enemies. We're going to say to those five accusations, hey, come and take it because I got my brothers with me. We know who we are. We know what God has put us here for. That sound like something that you want to be a part of. That's what you already are. You are the family of God and we're going to do this together. So as we worship, cry out to the Lord, lay down your life anew again and pick up the concern for your brother. We're going to be filled with his power that's working perfectly in us. Mighty God, we love you, Father, and we thank you for the man to our left and to our right. Lord, we lay down our lives. We lay down our concerns, mighty God. Lord, we double down on what you've told us to do, Father. Lord, we're going to lean into the difficulties, and we're going to do it with our brothers, Father. Lord, we say empower us, but more than that, empower the mans to our left and to our right. 